And on this Resurrection Sunday, I ask you to give your attention to God's Word. John chapter 20, wherein we'll read verses 1 through 18. Hear the Word of God. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and I do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, She turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. May the Lord bless this reading of his word, for we surely give him praise for it. Amen. Darkness covered the earth. That was the case in creation immediately following the Lord, having brought all things into existence, having not yet said, let there be light. It was the case when Judas had eaten a morsel. He went out to betray the Lord Jesus. And John tells us it was night. Darkness covered the face of the earth from about the sixth hour as Jesus was hanging on the cross at Calvary, as he was enduring a suffering and an agony with which we cannot relate, darkness pervaded the earth. And it was dark on the first day of the week when those women, Mary Magdalene in particular, who is singled out for us, made their way to the tomb. It is not hyperbole to say, as Our founding pastor prayed just a few moments ago that hope had been eradicated. Faith had been eradicated. This beloved one who had gone about doing so much good, 
who had healed the sick with his hands. He had touched those who were ailing from blindness to deafness to those who were crippled and could not walk. Even those who were dead, he raised to life. And now those hands had been pierced with iron spikes. Those feet, those feet that had been anointed and wiped with the hair of a dear lady who loved him. Those feet who had tread the dusty roads of Judah and Palestine to bring blessing into the lives of all of those that he touched had also been pierced. That precious head upon which oil had once been anointed by another who loved him. That wonderful countenance that had blessed so many as he looked upon those who were in such desperate need and a crown of thorns had been crushed down upon it as he was beaten mercilessly. It was traumatic. It was destructive of everything they hoped in and had trusted in. Their master, their savior, placed in a grave. That horrible humility culminating with burial in a tomb. But love remained. Love. Hope was gone. Faith was gone. But love remained. Even though the body had been anointed with 75 pounds of spices as they had been wrapped carefully in the burial cloth as Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had taken the body of Jesus down from the cross and placed it carefully in the tomb that belonged to Joseph, a tomb in which no one had ever laid. The writers are careful to point that out. Just to make us certain, there weren't other bodies lurking about. There was no one else in that tomb to be missing on that day. Yet nevertheless, having been laid there, these ladies out of love came to do their part, to place spices there themselves. And love brought them there that day, even though faith and hope had been eradicated. But there was no body there to anoint. There was no body there to see. We can't say, as Dr. James Montgomery Boyce has said, that the tomb was empty. That's not entirely true. There were grave clothes still in there. And there were angels. And so we read this text with wonder. That first day of the week. Have you taken time to reflect upon how revolutionary it is that we meet on the first day of the week? God's people had always been enjoined to rest on the Sabbath day, on the seventh day. That was the day of rest. But Jesus had ultimately fulfilled that day of rest. For he died and was buried and laid in a tomb on the seventh day. No, it's the first day of the week that we are pointed toward on this particular occasion. And it was on that first day of the week that they came, even while it was still dark. Yet even in the darkness, there was hope. They just didn't know it yet. There is hope for you today. You may be wondering, where is it? I watch the news. I'm on social media. I keep up with things. Where is this hope you're talking about? I'm talking about a hope that comes from God. I'm talking about a hope that is born of heaven. I'm talking about that which is not necessarily popular among the social influencers I'm talking about real hope that's centered upon a person who was placed in a grave and did not stay there. And we are worshiping on this first day of the week because of what happened on that first day. It is absolutely extraordinary. 
that while the exact chronology of these events on that day can be confusing when we compare the accounts together, yet nevertheless, there is a beautiful harmony. And the contradictions are only apparent. We realize these eyewitness accounts fit together. And I believe ultimately we'll see, especially when we're in heaven, just how wonderfully they do fit together. Yet nevertheless, certain facts are clear. It was the first day of the week. And all of Jesus' followers, you know, if this had been invented by them, if this had been written by them just for the sake of trying to be an advertisement, as so many skeptics have said, to be these billboards that they talk about in the first century, to talk about how they had the right view of things, then surely some one of them would have made himself out to be the hero of the story, the one who believed when all else didn't. But there was unanimity. All of them believed that Jesus was still in the grave that first day of the week. Not one gave any indication that they had heard. Now, unbelievers who had no intention of believing in Christ had heard him. In fact, the Jews had gone to Pilate and said, you know, that imposter said that he was going to rise on the third day, and we're concerned about that. Can you give us a guard so that we can set it over the tomb to make sure that, that, that no mischief takes place? That's my version of it. Pilate said, sure, take a guard, secure the tomb as best you can. I love that. You do the best you can with that. Let me know how it works out for you. (laughs) All of them thought he was still there. When the Mary and the other women came to the tomb, they expected him to be there. They came as early as they could, as early as Sabbath law would allow them to come. They expected the stone still to be over the tomb, and they wondered who might remove it. We also see from this, of course, that once they got there, and once they saw the tomb was empty, there was no body, there was no corpse, and no one ever produced one. Have you ever thought about that? If the Jewish authorities, if the Roman authorities, if anybody who was opposed to the work of the Lord Jesus, in order to stop this whole thing, all they ever had to do was say, Here he is, folks. No body was ever produced. And those burial cloths, what about that? They were still lying there, and they were lying by themselves in a conspicuous manner in such a way that John even believed. Our text says John is the first one to look in there. He didn't go in, but he looked in. The word is blepo the first Greek word I ever learned in summer Greek in July of 1989. It simply means to see, just like I'm looking at you now. I I see each of you. Uh, With my vision, I can't see those of you in the back as clearly as I used to be able to see people in the back, but I know you're back there. I see you. Now, when Peter went in, he looked a little more carefully. The word is thoreo. He scrutinized. He didn't just see that there were grave cloths there. He didn't just see the empty tomb. He, he looked more carefully. But then after Peter was out of there, John looked in. And the word that is used for John's second look at things is orao in the first person. He saw and understood. We've all had those moments. We've looked at things and said, oh, yeah, yeah, I see that. And then we've looked at things and we've examined them a little more carefully, perhaps like a flower when we 
look and say, oh, that, that's, a, that's a beautiful color. But then to look and understand, that's John. For some reason, as those gray cloths were lying there, he saw, understood, and he believed. Yes, indeed. Conspicuous manner. We know there were two angels present, and they spoke. And we know that Mary and the other women were the first to see and testify to the astounding events. Now, I want to be careful because of our own cultural sensitivities, but let's just be honest with each other. The, uh, the testimony of women would not have stood up in a court of law in that day. And so it stands to reason, had these accounts merely been manufactured by people who were propagating a religious idea rather than conveying historical truth, they would have had somebody testify to these events whose testimony could have stood up in court. But that wasn't the interest of the gospel writers. They were interested in recording what actually happened. And so in spite of what the culture might have thought about all of this, the fact is the women were the first one there as they came in love, and they were the first ones to testify to the resurrected and living Lord Jesus Christ. How glorious and wonderful it is to know that this testimony stands to this day. You know, we'll be talking about a lot of things that a lot of people say throughout the course of our lives, whether it's historic events. Every once in a while when I leave the office, you know, I'll say something like, I shall return. As I think of General MacArthur. Or the other day when I was thinking of Arnold Schwarzenegger, I said, I'll be back. We think of quotes from famous people from the past that, you know, we're going to be talking about the testimony of these women for eternity. One of these days, we won't be talking about the Terminator, but we'll be talking about the testimony of these ladies throughout all ages. And amazingly, Jesus, of course, at first was not recognized. How is that the case? Well, there are a lot of reasons for that. We think perhaps, maybe, the most legitimate reason we can attach to it is the fact that, after all, they knew what Jesus had gone through. They knew the horrible beating that he had endured. They knew what the corpse should look like. Without me being graphic, let's just understand that. He had been scourged by the Roman lectors with whips that had bones and pieces of metal and gravel beaten into the leather thong so that as they did their dastardly work, the skin was ripped from his body so that, as William Barclay said, his bones would have stood out in his back like marble white columns. His face had been disfigured. In the beatings. Again, with a crown of thorns crushed down upon him. When Jesus appeared in his resurrected body, he was in his glorified body. Yes, there were still nail prints in his hands and feet and a wound in his side to demonstrate and testify to his authenticity. But otherwise, in his glorified body, he was not what they would have expected, and therefore they did not recognize him. Nor would we have. And yet, there he was. And so, there they were, confronted with this resurrected Savior. It reminds us that our Christian faith is based on a confident trust in the resurrected and living Lord Jesus Christ. Every religion in the world is based on some truth, some system of truth, some writing, some idea. But our faith, while we have our writings that we revere, while God's word is his word, the scriptures, the Bible, our faith is firmly fixed in the person of the Lord Jesus. So much so that John R.W. Stott has said, 
Christianity is Jesus Christ. It's not merely what he taught. It's what he taught, yes. But it's him. We trust in him. He lived a perfect and sinless life. He rose from the dead. If Christ is not raised, then all preaching is in vain. And our faith is in vain. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. People down through the years, as they've done various coursework and writings and comparative religions, you know, have tried to distill all the religious thought in the world down into common denominators, you know, to try to make us all out to, you know, all roads lead to heaven and that sort of thing. And Adolf Harnack, a historian of previous centuries, famously tried to say that, well, Christianity ultimately is about the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. If you put that acronym together, it comes out to be fog bomb. <clears throat> just to help you remember it. But that's not what the Bible teaches at all. Of course, the Bible teaches that God is our Father if we trust in the Lord Jesus and thus are adopted into his family, whereby we're able to cry out, Abba, Father. But otherwise, he is our Father only by way of adoption as we trust in the Lord Jesus. And, and we're brothers and sisters together by virtue of our faith in Christ. That's right. You, one of your brothers is a hillbilly from North Carolina who's as bald as a cue ball. I'm sorry about that. But we're family. We're family in the Lord Jesus. And so God is our father because we trust in Jesus. We are brothers and sisters because we trust in Jesus. But that's not a universal experience. So you can't just distill it all down in that way and be so simple-minded in that way. As if... These things don't matter. Oh, don't worry about the miracles. Don't worry about the resurrection. I saw a pastor being interviewed on a major news network show some years ago. and He basically said, well, if they find a body in Jerusalem that belongs to the Lord Jesus, it, or he didn't say the Lord Jesus. He said, if they find the body of Jesus in the Middle East, it won't affect my faith in the slightest. And I thought, first of all, you're not going to find the body of Jesus in the Middle East or anywhere else except in heaven beside the right hand of the Father. But there is no legitimate faith in Jesus if his body remains on this earth. It would undo everything. Paul said we should be pitied above all people if Jesus is not raised. The resurrection of Jesus is essential. It's not incidental. It's not some add-on. It's not something that was tacked on to religious thought in the first century just to sort of enrich our experience. It is absolutely essential. Our whole eternity is tied to the success of the Lord Jesus coming out of that grave. You realize that all four gospel accounts are essentially crucifixion and resurrection narratives with lengthy intros? They want to tell us about the life of Jesus. They want to demonstrate his true identity by conveying to us his teaching and his miracles and all that he accomplished in his life that is important. They didn't tell us everything. Remember, John said if everything was written down, the whole world couldn't contain the books. But they told us what we need to know. But ultimately, they bring us point by point by point to the crucifixion. And the resurrection is the climax. There's no getting around that. And then the ascension of the Lord Jesus also with his enthronement, all of that, essential. And Mary Magdalene's testimony, I have seen the Lord. 
It wasn't a figment of her imagination. It's not some hallucination. How could she have hallucinated? She completely expected to find the body of Christ in the tomb. She was as surprised as anybody. And even so, interestingly enough, John tells us that he believed first, believing that he's the beloved disciple. John identifies himself that way. It's, uh, it's not that he thought more of himself than the other disciples. Which of the disciples did Jesus not love? He's speaking in a generic sense, but in identifying himself in that way, even before he saw the body, in some degree or other, he believed. And yet Mary Magdalene's testimony stands. I have seen the Lord. Remember Fanny Crosby, who wrote so many hymns, over 8,000 as I recall, among them to God be the glory. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Blinded at early childhood by a doctor who made a terrible mistake. She was asked in later life if she was bitter about that, if she regretted it, and she said, no, not at all. She said, I'd like to thank that man. She said, because the first face that I shall ever see to remember will be the face of my Savior in glory. And think of it. I don't know how we'll interact once we're there. But I have every confidence that the one thing that we'll report to one another, I have seen the Lord as surely as she did on that day. Think of the impact of his life, death, and resurrection. Some things that... J. Warner Wallace conveys in his book entitled Person of Interest. Isn't that a great title? He speaks of uh, Peter Dickinson, CIA analyst, who searched the Library of Congress back in 1999 and doing computer analysis of 18 million volumes revealed 17,239 books about Jesus. Second, or runner-up, was William Shakespeare, 9,800 almost twice as many as the next one. He said, uh, if you do it using Google, a more recent, comprehensive search, Jesus is still the subject of far more, 109 million books. George Washington comes in second, 58,400,000. Just think of the impact that the Lord Jesus has had. Think of the impact on other media. First motion picture, I found this. It's got to be true because it's on the Internet. I Googled it. A Life of the Lord Jesus Made by a Frenchman. At least he was the subject of the matter in 1897. Did you know that? And then we wonder. We talk about films that have been viewed the most. You know, you can talk about Gone with the Wind. You can talk about Avatar. You can talk about whatever you want to. But the Jesus film... Produced in 1979, at this point, has been seen by over 8 billion people worldwide. There is nothing else that comes anywhere close to that. They are showing that film out in wilderness locations where they don't even have electricity. They sometimes generate the power they need with a little hand crank. People are watching that film. Hundreds of thousands of hymns and songs dwarfing any other subject matter. Think of how music pervades our culture and the world. Jesus... Jesus is not only the subject matter of music, he is the inspiration of time to go into it. How many of our popular singers and entertainers have been inspired by the Lord Jesus? Some of the songs they write, you'd think, doesn't even honor Jesus. And yet, in some way or another, they have been inspired by him. More than any other group, Christians have led in the development of music and singing. All the way back to the time of the Psalms. It's interesting how that... uh, 
we still have that wonderful hymn book that continues to impact us. Jesus has inspired artists in every time period, every region of the world, not only musical artists, but depictions. Do you realize? Do you realize if we lost all of the written accounts, the narratives of the Lord Jesus, there are enough artistic expressions of the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus that we could reconstruct his entire life just based on art that was produced in the first several centuries of the common era? All of it. So you can question it. You can ignore it. You can refuse to believe it, but absolutely nothing will ever undo it. We are gathered here because Christ has been raised from the dead. Not only on this day, but every Lord's day, we bear testimony to the resurrected and living Christ. Every day that we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray because he is a living Savior interceding for us. Every day that we call on his name, we're not hearkening back to someone who died and is still buried in a dusty tomb in Palestine. We are praying to and we are talking about and we are singing to and singing about a living Savior. And we praise and we rejoice in him. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. That's how Peter testified on the day of Pentecost. Boldly, this man who was running, who would not admit to knowing the Lord Jesus, who denied him three times before the rooster crowed, valiantly stood on that first day of the week. Why is that? Because one of the great evidences of the resurrection of Jesus is that those cowering disciples became courageous witnesses to this Christ who had been raised. And Peter boldly standing before the very ones who had been responsible for his death, this Jesus whom you crucified. What did that take for him to say that? The Holy Spirit indwelling him, having transformed him, having empowered him to do far beyond what he was able, testifying to the truth of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. He is both Lord and Christ. And so we say that to the world. We gather here today in the midst of a circus and all of its sideshows, a circus that beckons for our attention every time we turn on the television or look at the Internet. I could pull out my phone right now and hit my news feed. And I could tell you more about what's going on in the various rings. But here we're talking about something that is real and that is lasting and that will endure for all ages. And so we remind ourselves today that the answers for our problems are not coming out of national or state capitals, the seats of government or the United Nations. It's not coming out of the seats of the academy these days where people and all of their intelligence, which I would not demean in the slightest, plenty of people who are much smarter than I will ever be advocating for ideas and notions and theories that cannot extricate us from our ultimate problem. Only Jesus can pay the penalty for our sins. Only Jesus has raised from the dead. Only Jesus can give us life everlasting. They can freeze you with cryogenics with the hope of raising you up one day. I read a news article yesterday saying that somehow, some way. They believe that one of these days people are going to be able to attend their own funeral in the body of another person. You can't make this stuff up. I ain't going to be at my funeral. I have no desire to be. I want to move on to better things, and my Savior has promised that that is just what will happen. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I'm not going to be in the funeral parlor down the street. 
even though Monday with bronchitis, I was about ready to go by and make an appointment. <laughs> Justin Martyr, born about the year 100, could have been 90 A.D., 100 A.D., we're not exactly sure. Most of his works no longer exist, but we have some of them. Wrote beautifully about the Christian faith in defense of it, advocating for faith in the Lord Jesus. Finally, the authorities had had enough. And they arrested Justin and others along with him. And they sentenced him to death. And they cut off his head. Justin Martyr said, you can kill us, but you can't do us any real harm. That's what the resurrection of Jesus means. Yes, these bodies will die. We might even be killed for our faith. But they can't do us any real harm. Because he who lives and believes in him shall never die, but has everlasting life. And folks, that's why we trust in Christ alone. Father in heaven, we bless your name and give you praise for all that you have accomplished for us in a Savior who is far more wonderful than our minds can conceive, who has achieved a victory far greater than anything we ever could have imagined, who has saved us from sins that are far worse than we want to admit and given us an inheritance that is absolutely immeasurable. Oh, Father, bless us to know your Son. Bless us to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to ask, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if this day you would repent and trust in the Lord Jesus You don't have to pray aloud, but pray with me in your heart and simply to him say, Lord Jesus, I know that you're the Savior of sinners and there is no other. And I know that I am a sinner desperately in need of forgiveness. And so, Lord Jesus, I confess and acknowledge my sins to you and my guilt. The fact that I have fallen short of your father's glory And the wages of my sin, justifiably, is death. Forgive me. Wash me and cleanse me. I repent of those sins. I turn away from them. And I turn to you. And I receive you. And I accept you. And I ask you to come into my heart. And I trust in you, Lord Jesus. And pray that you will give to me that assurance which comes to those who trust in you to know that I have everlasting life. Bless me, dear Savior, with grace and abundance to follow you by the power of your Holy Spirit, trusting in you in this life, knowing, knowing that death has been defeated by you. So, Lord Jesus, I trust in you and I praise you and I thank you for all that you've done for me. Heavenly Father, please grant to your people that assurance which comes when we trust by faith in the one who ever lives. Our Lord Jesus Christ, in his name we pray. Amen. I'm not going to ask you to make a show of it, but if you prayed today to receive the Lord Jesus, let someone know. Tell them. Tell them you've trusted. Tell them you love the Lord and you want to serve him. In the meantime, let's stand to our feet. In Christ alone we stand. And let's sing.
Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.